Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for ten dollars. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's mulch for just ten dollars. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through four seventeen. Not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on nineteen ounce pots. See store for details. U.S. only. This is Forbes Under 30 on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Goldblum. On the Forbes Under 30 podcast, we talk to young innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs. Today, I'm sitting down with Trey Crowder. He's a former Department of Energy employee who moonlighted as a comedian in Tennessee. That changed when his politically charged comedy videos started going viral on Facebook like 50 million views viral. He then transformed into his alias, The Liberal Redneck. Fast forward to today, he's now a former government employee who's playing sold-out shows, released a book this past year, and recently signed a TV deal with Warner Brothers. We're going to get into all that now with our guest, Trey Crowder. Thanks, man. I think that L.A. is one of those places where people are so nice that it's punishing Right. And that's what's scary about it. Yeah. Like nobody wants to be seen as saying, like, I didn't see that this guy yeah. was going to uh, be great. Right. So everybody just says, he's great. Right. <laughs> because they don't want to be seen as the person that said he wasn't great. Yeah. So, and that's what's so mean about it, is that after right. a while, if you see stuff not coming to pass, yeah. and you've heard people say nice things, it's especially punishing, because you're just like... They were so nice. Yeah, so I, right. I, like again, I have that in the back of my head all the time. That because I, I don't think that I'm like a pessimist or anything. I, I just try to be realistic about stuff, and I, you know, that's what you hear is that always from people that because yeah, I'm a comedian. I've been a comedian for six and a half years, and working in clubs and stuff with other guys who've been around for a long time or whatever. You know, you just you hear that kind of thing about, you know, everybody blowing smoke up your ass basically mm-hmm. for so long and then not, and then just kicking you to the side or whatever, however it ends up going. And so I came in like sort of with my guard up, you know what I mean, expecting that. But everyone is so sweet. <laughs> you know, everybody's so so nice and everything that like it's hard not to start to, you know, believe like ah that's not true, everybody. You know what I mean? Like, but I try to try to keep a level head about it or whatever, and just and it's fun. take it as it. Oh, it's oh, an amazing amount of fun. Yeah, it's the past year's been the craziest you know year of my life, and uh, and a lot of really good. Like, I've done so many awesome things this year. You know what I mean? So that's the thing too. I, I don't ever want to come off like I'm complaining. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. def- there's stuff about it that. That does suck. I, obviously, that's true of I think literally anything. But it, you know, it's far outweighed from like I'm grateful. You know what I mean? This is better than yeah. what I was doing. I'm glad to be doing this, and you know, I ain't complaining. Well, let's talk about the fun, the fun stuff. I mean, let's get back to the Department of Energy. Yeah, right. Yeah, where, where <laughs> you started, which is like the epicenter of comedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where all the magic happened, man. Uh, where you were in Tennessee? Yeah, you're from. Rural Tennessee. I'm from the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. It's a place called Salina, Tennessee. Um, it's, you know, halfway between Nashville and Knoxville, almost exactly, and then up 50 more miles, up on the okay. Kentucky the Kentucky line. I've driven around there. Yeah. There's a really awesome lake up there, and that's it. I mean, and it's beautiful country-wise, but 
that's it. There's nothing that we had no traffic lights, no, uh, you know, McDonald's or Walmarts or any kind of anything at all. I mean, it was tiny. I graduated high school with about 60 people, but that was literally the biggest graduating class they'd ever had. Normally it's more like low forties or something like that. So it's very small. What was your entry point into politics or being liberal? Um, what I normally chalk it up to, and over the past year, and after talking about this so much, I'm kind yeah. of starting to think I was being a little too simplistic about it. My own. Are you self. kind of sick of your own story from, from no. having to describe it so many times? Not that I'm sick of it, but I've <laughs> I've thought more about it, like crit more critically about it right. than I ever had. Because what I always used to say to that, my overly simplistic answer was uh, it was because of my uncle who's gay, mm-hmm. right? And that's m- my dad basically raised me okay and he only has i say basically like my mom wasn't around much it's not like she literally just left and was gone forever but she wasn't around very much growing up because uh, she was had drug problems and was in and out of jail and stuff for selling drugs and stuff like that so my dad mostly raised me and he only had one sibling his brother my uncle tim and when I was like eight or nine, I found out that Uncle Tim was gay. And that's when I found out what gay even meant. You know what I mean? Like before that, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was already very close to my uncle at that point. So I found that out and was like, uh, okay, well, you know, whatever. It didn't change the way I felt about him at all. But then I started noticing a lot of – I started picking up a lot of stuff that before would, like, go right over my head, either at or around, like, church or at school or whatever – about you know homosexuals being an abomination or against God and all that kind of like fire and brimstone rhetoric that like Southern Baptists are kind of infamous for when it comes to gay people and I just started noticing it and I was like hey what, you know you don't even know my uncle man like that kind of thing and it was like immediately at that age I was I once I started realizing that I was like all right you know what. No, no, this is not. I'm not doing this. You know, like I see my uncle every Sunday for like Titans games and dinner or whatever. I ain't never even emailed Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, why would I take his side over my uncle's? That's the way I looked at it. So I just I walked away from all that at an early age, and that's what I've always chalked it up to, like how it got started. But I'd like to think that it, I would have I would have ended up that way. You know, regardless. Right. You know what I mean? But well, well I want to know when. Because we're going to get to the video that you posted that went and was really shot out of a cannon. Mm-hmm. I mean, in like 60 million views on, yeah. on Facebook in response to uh, the bathroom bill in North Carolina. But right. the, the were you speaking out about issues politically before you made videos? Like in class, were you – Yeah. did I you can, take a position? I can remember in, in high school, um, we uh, – we we, had, we did have like theater or whatever, and you can imagine what those productions were like. But uh, <laughs> but we had I've always been into entertainment and whatever else. So like I always did theater stuff in high school. And one day our teacher was the English and theater teacher. She every like couple weeks we'd have a debate, a class debate about some issue or whatever. Because we did not have like debate class or debate team or anything. And I remember one day we did. Uh, the war in Iraq. We hadn't went into Iraq yet, and she was. She said, "Everybody thinks we should go to war with Iraq. Raise your hands." About half the class did, and then she's like, "Everybody thinks we shouldn't raise your hand." And it was literally just me. And then she was like, "Okay, everybody that just either doesn't know or doesn't care." And that was the other half of the kids. And right. she was like, "She's like, okay, you guys, you're with Trey. You're over there, <laughs> right? And everybody who thinks we should, you're over there." And so, uh, sort of right wing or apathetic, and then you, yeah. It, 
pretty much. And a lot of those guys who were apathetic then were like some of my best friends who now are, I mean, they're not super like passionate or involved, but they're less apathetic than they used to be. And they also lean left now. Most of those guys, uh, I'm happy to say, but yeah, back then, uh, and I tell people that a lot, I think that's a little bit of a misconception. Although from what I can tell, it's changing in that way since I've left my hometown and places like my hometown, but I would have described my hometown not as super right wing or, or hardcore to the right back then. I would have described it as mostly apathetic politically, mm-hmm. like the adults and whatever else. That's how I remember it. Right. I, but you see all this crazy stuff on the news now in places like that, it, with you know, re- revolving around Trump or whatever, and it's all kind of weird to me because that's not that's not the way it was when I was there. And, I don't, and I'm not trying to imply these people were, you know, enlightened or whatever. They just, I don't know. They didn't care. Just disengaged. Yeah. I see that. They just, here well, they too. thought yeah. they just didn't, they thought none of them, no, none of them gave a damn about them or whatever. And to hell with them all basically was pretty much it. Yeah. So well, I mean, I, clearly a lot of people, we underestimated how many people were engaged. Right. In yeah. This election. Definitely. But I want to talk about the epiphany that you had, when you watched the pastor's video about the bill law, the law that seeks to you yeah. know, regulate which bathroom transgender people can use, what what happened? Okay, so like I mentioned, I've been a comedian for you know year, a few years now, and I've always done my comedy. I've always described it as like progressive Southern comedy or whatever. It's always been that theme or what whatever. And I had this bit that I thought was like my like signature bit i closed with a lot and whatever else and i didn't i never said the words liberal redneck but like if i wrote out a set list or something that bit if it, if i had had an album with it on it it would have been entitled liberal redneck right like that's the name i had for yeah. it and the bit was basically just after setting it up the punchline was what the videos are it was me screaming a bunch of very liberal stuff in an extremely redneck fashion or whatever and it always did good, and I did it for a long time. And then I started thinking, like two years ago, I think I should make a video series based around this. But I, in my head, I, at that time, I was like, man, I'll have to save up money and buy like a nice camera and nice equipment. I'll have to get video editing software and learn how to use it. And I'll, and I, you know, I don't want to look like an amateur. That's what I thought. And so the epiphany was with that video that you're talking about with that preacher in North Carolina railing against perverts in the bathrooms or whatever i saw it it had like 15 million views and the epiphany was okay if this is what i'm trying to satirize or make fun of and it is then i don't need anything fancy in fact i probably shouldn't have anything you know what i mean i should do it exactly the way this guy does it right and once i realized that i went out like three days later and made the first one, which was the first one was actually about Tennessee, my home state, trying to make the Bible the official state book, which ended up not happening, uh, thankfully. <laughs> but that's what the first one was about, and it got like seventy thousand views on Facebook. And I mean, I was over the moon, man. You right. know, I was showing my buddies or my comic friends, or whatever, like, look, hey, it's working. People like it. I should keep uh-huh. this up. And the second one was the one about the transgender bathroom laws. And then, yeah, that's the one. Sixty million that literally changed my. I, I thought it was. I, the last I, I thought it was more like thirty or something. Okay, but it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, maybe if if you got that number, maybe what we did was combine it from a bunch of different platforms or something between Facebook and YouTube and uh, you know Tumblr and whatever else. But uh, either way, a lot, and it changed my whole life completely, like from top to bottom. What was the date that you published um, that video? It was late April. 
this past April. Yeah, it's yeah, not even a full year. Not even a full year since. Okay, so and you were do you were working as a comedian. I mean, you were going up and doing mm-hmm. stand up. Yeah, and was the persona always you kind of jacked up? Yeah, a version of yourself mm-hmm. cranked up. Yeah, because it's because like when you get on stage, at least me anyway. I guess not every comic is this way, but you know you got like adrenaline pumping and whatever else, mm-hmm. and and any time. I have the adrenaline pumping, or I'm kind of jacked up, or you know, I'm drunk, or whatever. I, that the accent gets thicker, I get more, you know what I mean. And yeah. I don't even think about it; it just happens. So the whole time I've been doing comedy, I've been an exaggerated version of myself on stage. But again, I think that's true for a whole lot of comics. And yeah, that kind of carries through to the videos also. So when you published the video, I mean, you were excited when you had sixty thousand people. You're telling your friends to look mm-hmm. at it. When you got thirty million, six, whatever it yeah. is. The editor of the New York yeah, Daily, Daily News. News, yeah, Jim Rich, phones you or tweets. You? He what tweeted. Happened? He tweeted at me. What did he say? Call me. Call me. He's. I'm. I'm the editor in chief of the New York Daily News. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about this or whatever. And then we got. And you don't have any manager. Right? You're not. Actually, actually, I did have a manager at that time because I had. Uh, so where I basically that's the sitcom you need to make. Where I ba- <laughs> how excited the manager gets. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But where where I basically was in comedy and i'll be brief with this but like i even though i was in tennessee doing it and i still had a day job and all that i had i had gotten into this writer's workshop that nbc does in new york and i was like so i was submitting writing packets for like late night late night writing writing gigs and whatever and i was also making tapes and submitting to festivals or for consideration for like late night sets and stuff like that so that's kind of like the level that i was at and um and so at one point in like September of 2015, I came out here as I would do every so often because I got a, one of my best friends that lives out here. And I came out here just to stay with him and do some shows and whatnot. And I did a show at Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. And my man, my now manager was there and saw me and talked to me afterwards. And so I did have a manager. And I'm that's one thing I've been extremely grateful for is the fact that my manager was my manager before, before you, all this right. because I know that and she wasn't still is some, now. and still is now. So oh, she wasn't some vulture like swooping yeah. in because, you know, I got some now of those emails all, from right? people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> They're all liars. But so I did have, I did have a manager already and that was a huge benefit in a lot of ways once everything started happening. But still though, man, I mean, it was, my head was still spinning. It was still absolutely insane, for sure. And, I mean, still is, by the way. It's interesting because the, the videos are very funny, and you're funny in them, but there's a writer in the videos. I mean, like like most things that discuss you, you lack the capacity to understand it, mm-hmm. is part of the first video that you put out, mm-hmm. which is a really powerful line. What's up, y'all? Little redneck here. We gonna do it again. Fired up, son. I've been seeing all these Facebook posts about transgender bathrooms, and every one of them comes down to the same shoot. Well, hell, what's to stop some pervert from wrapping a skirt around his wiener and going in the ladies' room with my baby girl? I ain't having that. We gotta watch out for the kids, the kids, the kids. Meanwhile, these are the same motherfuckers that put Mountain Dew in sippy cups and beat a six-year-old with a wire hanger for standing in front of the TV during Dr. Oz. Y'all are so full of shit. What do you think is gonna happen? You do know that transgender people have existed forever, right? What bathrooms you think they've been using? And how many times you ever hear about what you're worried about happening, happening? Hardly not, never. Because like most things that disgust you, you lack the capacity to understand it. You know, homos, algebra, shit like that. And y'all ain't gonna change. I realize that now. But that's okay. 
because the rest of us are trying to ensure that the next generation, you know, your kids, grow up in a world that's a little more open-minded. And that's happening whether you like it or not. Bye. And so I'm wondering how much thought and preparation goes into the videos, like because they're edited, mm -hmm. and yet they're you know they're of a certain production value that makes you feel like it's stream of consciousness. And yet right. I it, I must I I believe there must be some preparations. You tell us. There there definitely is. Yeah, people. Uh, People, a lot of times, I can tell. They'll either straight up ask me or I can just tell by the way they say something. And usually this is just like fans at a show or something, not like industry people. But the, I can tell that they think that I'm just I'm just, literally just ranting. You know what I mean? That I'm just like going out there, turning the camera on and just starting. And, I mean, no, not at all. But it takes – I approach them pretty much the same way that I've always approached stand-up, which is I decide on what I'm going to be talking about, what the video is going to be about, the subject. And – it, maybe I'll have the angle already. Maybe I won't have the angle yet. But uh, either way, I make the decision on the topic, and then I just literally just start talking out loud, either in my house where I go to a room by myself, or a lot of times I'll go for a drive. Probably going to stop that now that I've moved here is I don't want to end up in, you know, San Diego or yeah. something. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I would go for a drive, or I'd just walk around in the backyard or wherever, and I would just be talking out loud uh my way through it through the idea right. and so if you recorded that whole thing i mean i, I sometimes i'll probably talk for 30 minutes on something right. and i'll repeat some stuff you know what i mean because i'll think of something maybe in the middle like oh that would have been better with what i was saying earlier so then i'll go back and rephrase it or whatever and then i'll and then i'll after that i'll be like okay all that stuff i was saying about this to hell with all that get rid of all that i think this is maybe good keep right. that part and then i'll start over and i'll you know take a bunch out or or keep some or whatever and i keep doing that basically until it's down to for the videos about you know about three minutes or so two to three minutes and then once i get there and i feel like there's enough there's enough funny in it mm -hmm. the joke economy is good enough in it and it's at the right time then i'm like okay oh and the ending too i like to make the endings of them usually either have some kind of like you know point or you know <laughs> yeah. message or whatever i'm trying to get across and as long as those three things are there then i'm like okay it's good and then i go out and so by the time i've done all that i go out and set the camera up and that part recording it and editing it and posting it takes 30 minutes maybe an hour right because by the time i've got to it i've gotten it down Mm -hmm. But as a comedian, that's one of the biggest compliments you can get, though, is when people tell you that it seems like Effortless. it's just stream yeah. of consciousness or whatever. Because, I mean, you, you want it to. It's supposed to. Right. But, I mean, no, it's not. It's definitely written. Well, I was thinking about this because I watched you on Bill Maher. And I feel I get uncomfortable when people go on Bill Maher. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem fun to me right. when you go on and he's so jacked up himself mm -hmm. and has an agenda and is, has notes and is looking at the notes, looking at you, looking at the note, looking at mm -hmm. you. And you've got a slot, and you're next to David Axelrod and Thomas Friedman and the yeah. former governor of whatever state. Yeah, man. And then they're like, hey, this guy's real funny, and he's got three <laughs> minutes. And I'm like, how does that – how do you do that with what you just said? Well, honestly, I tried not to think about most of the things you just said because I, I would start to think about that. <laughs> I would be like, man – yeah, you know, former Attorney General Eric Holder, and yeah, Pul three-time Pulitzer Prize winner Thomas Friedman, or whatever, and Axelrod. you know, and yeah, David Axelrod, and me. You know what I mean? And it's like, 
so yeah, I you tried. Did great, by I the tried. Way. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But I tried not to think about all that much. I had multiple calls with his producers leading up to it, where they were like, "Here are some things Bill thinks he would like to talk to you about," and there there was a lot. And so I had some idea of what it was going to be, and we ended up only talking about you know two or three of those things. But I don't think there were any real surprises, even though it's still. I mean, no, it's still nerve-wracking because you don't know where the discussion is going to go. Even if you do know what he might be asking you or bringing up, you don't know what everybody else is going to say or or whatever. So, But in my experience, though, actually being out there, maybe it's because it's just so surreal or whatever else, but I don't know. When I'm, when I'm actually in the moment doing that, I don't really feel all that. I kind of just – I don't know if I go on autopilot or what it is. I don't know. It goes by in a blur, though. You know what I mean? And then it's like – yeah, I, I did a. I was on a talk show for Fox, a, a briefly run talk show for not Fox News political, but like you know right. whatever the media. And um, they this will get into segue some of the LA stuff we were talking about earlier. But I remember at one point I made up a, a liberal point about police reform and Tanahasi Coates or something like that, and then the person opposite me said, "You know, Steve, that's not fair," and just went on like a rant about the same point that I made. But kind of to suggest that your point might have been racist, even though it wasn't. Right. People can kind of act any way they want on television, and yeah. they just want to – they can yeah. find controversy where there isn't any. And I was like, oh, I, I'm worried about how this is going to be edited. Right. Because yeah. I might be come off like the alt-right or something, and I'm not. Yeah. That's one of the have good, you seen that? That's one of, well, that's one of the good things about Bill's show is that it's live while you're right. sitting there. You know what I mean? So if you put your foot in your mouth, it's on you, basically. You know what I mean? So I never worried about – I mean, I've definitely had that thought before in other, especially a lot of times in like print interviews that I've done. And they've all been fine, actually. I haven't been like pissed about any, I haven't seen any of that happen. But I mean, I definitely think about that, about how Mm -hmm. I'm going to maybe come across. And, or especially if there is audio or video, because, you know, if you selectively edit some of the things that I say and, you know, add in the fact that my accent and everything on top of it, I mean, you could probably make me look pretty bad, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, if you wanted to. Um, it's so crucial that you be the one editing yourself. Right. Right? I mean, yeah. you wouldn't want to hand over. You wouldn't want no. to hire an editor and say, hey, here's no. 40 minutes. Have fun. No. And that's the whole right. The whole point is that you're doing it. I mean, the whole taste yeah. and yet, it's yours. Yeah, and you're also right uh, about – and, I mean, honestly, man, I felt the same way myself, kind of. But I think a lot of people on a lot of those shows, they go on there and they've got something they they want. Damn it, they're going to say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. They'll find a way to get to saying it. And again, I had some of that too, but most of mine was more like, you know, a joke. Like I was like, oh, I got a, you know, I got a good line for that specific topic. I got to make sure to fit that in there because it's funny. With a lot of people on shows like that, because it's the nature of them, it's an agenda or something right. that they have that they are absolutely gonna get to one way or another. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it can be weird for sure. That's uh, the 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 LA thing. I think you'll. Uh, appreciate this that that show i was fired from that show i was a host it was terrible and at the, the way that i got fired was a beautiful la story that the show was be a pilot and they were taking it to season and it was talking about pop culture i was so bad at it i didn't like it and somehow got put up for it and then they called me around december when they're making the decision and they the guy the producer goes good news bad news steve uh the good news is we are moving ahead with the show on fox right the bad news is we are not using you right. for the show that's yeah. literally what he said i said wow and i actually was relieved on some of because i i really didn't believe in the yeah. the program but at the same time you're like that's the way you, you give so it's 
Yeah. Actually, that's kind of an un LA like because I appreciate the bluntness that right. went into that and the, and right. the hubris that went into that. But um, talk about when did you move to LA? Uh, was to let's see, Yesterday? about ten days ago. Are you serious? Yeah. You've that's been. When in we got, that's when we got to Burbank. Was <laughs> Who's ten days we? ago. Uh, my wife and so I have temporarily in the move. I've misplaced my wedding ring, okay. which she is not thrilled about. I'm, right. It's at the house somewhere. I'll find it. Okay, good. If she hears this, yeah. I will find it. Put it back on. <laughs> but anyway, this is a dangerous it, city. Yeah, but uh, but my wife and I, we have two young sons too. And oh wow! We just we all we on how old are your Boys? Four and five. They're thirteen months oh apart. My God. Wow. They're uh, yeah. They're so they're a lot of fun, but they're definitely a handful too. They're wild as hell, man. Uh, but we January eighth, I want to say it was a Monday. Whatever that Monday of that week was, the eighth or ninth, we left uh, Knoxville and got to Burbank. We stopped in her hometown one night, which is on the other end of Tennessee. So that's still like six hours of driving. Right. Um, other than stopping there, and then we just picked random cities and stayed in the stop for the night each night, and we so we left on Monday and got to L.A. on Friday night, but but didn't have a place yet. We were in the ho- hotels and stuff. We just like we were like, no, let's just do it, get it over with, and so we just packed everything up and left and got out here and then found a place once we got here and so moved into the house we're in uh six days so you bought a house no well we're renting, renting a house, a house. For what na- neighborhood are you? it's in burbank if, okay if, right, right. yeah yeah um uh yeah we're renting for now until uh i see really what all this stuff means to me and where it goes or whatever you know what i mean uh but then it, once i have a better idea i mean we'll probably look at by i mean we you know we intend to be here for a while mm-hmm. you know what i mean no matter what so we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back so far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Rad, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital beds. Under 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL big game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deal. And the list with Art of Charms, Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut next up sports money with mike ozanian talking to team owners athletes and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind supreme athletic competition forbes on podcast one not just entertaining informative subscribe now at itunes and don't forget to rate review and share Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. When you get those views, when you got them, and you're excited about it, and you're making the next video, did you feel any pressure that I have to now maintain a certain yeah. status? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, especially at first. I kind of got to a point where, well, I mean, especially once, you know, contracts were signed or whatever, and, like, the tour was set up and dates were – And the expectations. Ticket, tickets there, were sold yeah. and things like that. I – quit stressing about that part as much but at first like when it first popped 
those next few things that I did, videos and whatever else, I, I was very – I did put a lot of pressure on myself, like this has got to be good, you know what I mean, to keep everybody's attention or, or whatever. So, yeah, I definitely felt that. But pretty soon, I mean, you got the deal with the daily news you're doing – updates with them well i did that uh they had a bit of a regime change there okay and uh my contract expired and to date has not been renewed which i honestly i don't know that i would have been able to do it the past few months have been insane for me with our tour like i'm you know i'm on a tour Tell us about the but, tour so it's me and two other liberal southern comics who are good friends of mine so and you knew them before all this we're we've been buddies for a long time okay. and this tour this tour is something we would talk about on each other's back porches after shows, you know what I mean, uh, until you know three in the morning or whatever, drinking beers and talking about like how we just knew, we just knew if we could just get a platform or get our whatever out there yeah. that it would work, that people would like it. And so that the tour was one of the very first things that came up, and them being part of it was very organic and just like totally natural to me too because it, it was like, hey, that thing we've been talking about for years – Let's try it. You know what I mean? And, uh-huh. But I was very, very nervous about that because that came together extremely quickly because we were trying to strike while the iron's hot type thing. I told you it was around April 20th or the end of April when that video went mega viral. The first show we did was like May 25th or something, so barely a month later. And I was terrified because there's, I was thinking there's a huge difference in – clicking like or even share on on the internet and paying money getting up leaving your house driving to right, a show coming or whatever. to see it yeah. there's a big difference and so i was I, I, a lot of times i was saying like to them to my manager whoever like what are we nobody's gonna come see me just those you know what you know that's not gonna work what are we doing i just like didn't want to believe it i guess and the first night of the tour was at the punchline in atlanta and it was on sunday night and we sold out both shows, and George Wallace, the legendary comedian, not the dead racist governor, obviously, uh, but the, the, the good George Wallace, uh, he delayed his flight by a day, his flight back to New York from Atlanta, just to come to the show. And he did a set and hung out with us afterwards, whatever else. And like, so that was the very first night of the tour, and that was also the very first time that I had the thought, this is real. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real thing. And the tour has been grueling, but it's been awesome too. We've done over over seventy five different cities uh, since May of and last great. year. They come out, they pay. Yeah, and it's been. I would say it's not like a hundred percent sold out, but I'd say it's been ninety five percent sold out, except for a couple. Like when we were in Florida, it was right after that hurricane Matthew or one of those hurricanes that they had in right. the summertime. Anyway. So stuff like that, you know, kind of jacked us up on a couple of occasions, but mostly they've been sold out and have been awesome. Are the shows the best source of revenue? Yeah, right now, yes. And, well, I say right now. I mean, honestly, they probably always will be. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that. For a lot of comedians, that, that, that's right. true, right? Yeah, a lot of people, I think, don't realize that, but that's – if you do the numbers on it, if you do the math, because – well, I guess a lot of people. How don't. does it? How does it? Bro- how's about, it broken down? I was about to say the house gets I, yeah, what you get what. Right. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that part either. Typically, a comedian, um, and it you know it varies a lot. It but if you can sell tickets, if you're a draw, right, as a comic, you get a door deal, which means X percentage of the door, and I mean it's very rarely lower than like seventy five percent. It's normally I'd say the standard is more like eighty or ninety percent. Mm-hmm. The clubs make all their money on food and drinks and stuff for the most part so you take most of the door yeah 
And if it's, you know, if it's 20 or $25 tickets and they fit 300 people in there or whatever, you know what I mean? It adds up quick. And when you do even bigger places, well, it, there's some diminishing returns there. I don't have personal experience with it yet. Cause we're, I'm still like, you know, club size venues, but you get into the bigger places, you have to, the, all the staff of those places gets paid out of the door too. Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. in theaters and stuff where that's all they do or whatever. Uh, so it, it's not exactly, you know, scalable, scalable. Yeah. yeah. But still you can get a rough idea, but the monetization of yourself, which is an interesting thing to consider, mm-hmm. but you, it, you're, it's in your interest to do daily news, TV show, radio, but to get the name, get the word out so right. that you can say, I'm going to be at the ha ha yes. hole on, you right. know, March 6th. And uh, that's actually not your date, so you should just say the real right. dates, and that's not it's a fake place. So yeah. you should you should yeah. you should say where you're going to be, yeah. so people have it. Um, I'll be at Largo here in LA on the 9th of March. I'll be in Salt Lake City on the 10th, and then uh, on the 15th and the 16th, I'm opening for Jason Isbell. Do you know who that is, the musician? I'm going to say yes, Jason Isbell. He's I think I, in my opinion that he's America's greatest current songwriter current active songwriter he's amazing and uh, i'm opening for him in irvine on the 15th and in vegas on the 16th oklahoma city march 18th and march 31st in oxford mississippi so that's great where where, what's the website where people go to see the date so the name of our tour is the well read comedy tour and it's that's well r-e-d like well redneck it's punk you know you get it anyway uh the well read comedy tour and the website is wellreadcomedy.com and that's uh that's got the tour dates. There's sign up for a newsletter on there. There's you can buy our book on there. You know all that good stuff. Ten days in L.A. Mm-hmm. What is the reception like from the business? Where people come? I mean, people approach you and said we're going to do a pilot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so because of that, and that, so that's been ongoing f- for a while. So if it wasn't for the tour, I we would have moved out out here in like August or September. Right. I just genuinely did not have time to do it. Because I would go home, I would go home every four or five days for two or three days, and then I'd leave again or whatever. And I just did did not have time to move my family across the country. So because of that, but all this stuff was still going on. So I was flying out here for various things or whatever, and going to all these meetings with all these people and stuff like that. So I've been water bottle tour, been out here, yeah, for ten days, but. That has been ongoing. I've been doing all that stuff, all the hobnobbing and all that, you know. And I forgot what you asked me about. Now, how did you enjoy that? I mean, what, what the reception is? People are very nice when you yeah. arrive. Yeah, exactly right. I'm, you know, again, I'm brand new to all this. I'm the, you know, the new guy in town or whatever. And so it's been awesome for me. Everybody has been awesome. I haven't had really any negative experiences at all. And I tell people that. And I always give the caveat of like, you know, but look, you have to think of the context. You know what I mean? Like it's it's sort of a honeymoon period, I think. Right. You know what I mean? So and I and I know that. So we'll sit, you know, ask me again, you know, this time next year or whatever. But so far you hold people accountable. Everybody for what they say they, they are going to do. Right. And then the people that do what they're going to say. Sorry about that. Uh, the people that do what they said they were going to do are the people that you really should keep company with, right? right. Because that's, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But exactly. what, what is the pilot? And where will, where, where, who, who bought it? Um, okay, so I. What first, can you say? I first signed the. Well, I, everything I'm about to say was in deadline, you know, when they published mm-hmm. the thing or whatever. So this is all out there. But 
I first signed a development deal with Warner Brothers, and the way that happened was they, I, uh, you know, an executive at Warner Brothers sent me a message on Facebook, and then we got emailing or whatever, and then I had a Skype call, and then they sent people to some of my comedy shows, and then I talked to them and whatever else, and then ultimately, after you know a few weeks, I signed a development deal with them, and the th- what they basically said was, we love you, we think you're hilarious, we love your point of view, but you are brand new to all this. You don't know what you're doing. We want to sign a deal with you, but you got to be partnered with somebody who does know what they're doing. Mm. And I was like, and I, I had no, in fact, I was good. I'm really? like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want you to hand me the reins to a, you know, a big sitcom or whatever for the first time smart. because yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. So I was totally fine with that. So they set up all these different uh, meetings with like established TV writers that they either had connections or deal, you know, contracts with or whatever. And I ended up being getting partnered up with uh, this guy, Rob Thomas, who he's originally from Texas. He had actually sent me a message on Twitter before he knew anything about my Warner Brothers deal or whatever and about, hey, I'm a TV producer and writer and I'd like to talk to you. And we had to tell him, sorry, but I've got a deal already. But it turned out. He also has his contract is with Warner Brothers Did or whatever. Did he do Party Down? Yes. And, okay, so since you brought that up, him him and this guy, John Embaum, co-created Party Down right. and were the co-showrunners of that show. Very and funny I, show. I love that show. Yeah. Right. And so those are the two guys that I'm partnered with is those two guys. Uh, Rob also created Veronica Mars and currently is the creator and showrunner of uh, iZombie, a show on CW. Um but yeah, like I said, he grew up in Texas and whatever else, so he like you know gets it, so to speak. Uh-huh. And so those are the guys that I partnered with, and we've been then we went out and you know to the pitch meetings and all that to all the networks. And Fox bought the pitch or the rest of the pilot or whatever. And you you mentioned earlier you said you had a show on Fox. You're like not Fox News, like you know. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Yeah. I, so when it went was first publicly posted, like the Deadline article, whatever. And it's like Fox buys Trey Crowder sitcom, you know, whatever. So many of my like fans on the internet or whatever, like how could you exactly? Yeah. They're like Fox, really, Trey? <laughs> Fox, how could you sell your soul to Fox? Yeah. That's the worst place you could go or whatever. And I had to be like, you know, it's Fox News and Fox TV, not the same thing. You know what I mean? And uh, I understand why people don't realize that, but yeah, they're not the same. I mean, King of the Hill was on Fox, man. And uh, but anyway, they bought it. We've been writing the pilot, and basic the basic premise of it is, it's about okay. Earlier you mentioned I work for the Department of Energy, and we can get more into sure. that place if you want to. But it's called Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is uh, if you're a history buff, you might know a little bit about it. Otherwise, you probably don't. But the Manhattan Project, we built the atomic bomb. They enriched all the uranium for that in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, put it on a train, shipped it to Los Alamos, New Mexico, where it was assembled into bombs that were then, you know, dropped on the Japanese, right? So that that's the origin of Oak Ridge. The agency that did the Manhattan Project and built the atomic bomb, that agency became the U.S. Department of Energy, ultimately, and they are still in Oak Ridge to this day. So, But Oak Ridge, the town is a very typical East Tennessee small town. I mean, mid-sized town, you know, but it's it's pretty redneck, pretty, you know, pretty what you would expect. Uh, the people there in the town itself or whatever, but in this redneck East Tennessee town, there's the world's fastest supercomputer, a particle accelerator, a nuclear weapons complex. Some of the smartest people on planet Earth 
live and work in Oak Ridge. So it's I've always found it to be a very fascinating place. So the show is basically about a guy, me, um, you know, ideally, <laughs> uh, who like grew up poor, like in a trailer park or whatever, but in that place. It's a fictionalized Oak Ridge. Moved away uh, to go to college and all that stuff, never to return because to hell with my hometown or whatever. But you know, became a scientist and then gets a job back at the lab in his hometown that he like can't pass up. So now he's moving back to that hometown with his wife who he met in California and he's being thrust back into the center of all his old redneck family and friends or whatever from back in the day and being torn between them and the like super elite and intelligent, you know, scientist that he works with out there, you know, who don't really think very highly of his hometown. So he's kind of like caught in the middle and that's 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 the basic premise of it. How pissed off are you going to be when Fox comes and they go, Ashton Kutcher would be great right. <laughs> yeah. for this part? Yeah. Well, I I didn't. Well, I don't know if I should say what I was about to say or not. Say I mean, it. That's well, all right. I, this is this is true. Um, I want to be again. The idea is that it will be starring me, right? Yeah. But I the being part of the creative driving force of it. You know, the writing it and making it what it is is honestly way more important to me than being the face of it than being the guy that's on it mm-hmm. um and that's my genuine opinion and there there can't be a show without me in the one role or at least not this show right uh the creative role i mean but the uh you know but yeah so if that happened yeah ashton kutcher what a great fit you know what i mean or whatever i mean you know i just think that would okay. be so annoying oh, i mean i know yeah, i mean i understand be, what you mean but it, it but would, it, it would give well, you so much leverage too for the next well, thing dude, for sure i mean i'm not gonna act like that wouldn't be you know a bummer it yeah. would be but as long as i was still involved with the like i said the creative process of it or whatever you know that's fine and do you so you see yourself out here for a long time yeah i this is honestly all i've ever really wanted to do um and so I've always just assumed that I would end up out here at some point. So, you know, yeah. How relieved are you that the election is over? And how are you feeling about um, uh, the new uh, commander-in-chief? Uh, not great, answer to the second part. Uh, I'm very, I'm relieved that it's over, but, I mean, it, it hasn't gotten any better in terms of hearing about him and the stuff that he's doing. I mean, it will, no matter what, I think it will go down. It will decline in intensity. Some, I think, I don't know, actually, maybe, I don't know with this guy. Here's what I was telling myself. Yeah. When he first got elected, when it actually happened, uh, I kept telling myself, all right, okay, maybe if, if for no other reason than his own narcissism, right. He will. He doesn't want to be considered a terrible president or whatever. You know what I mean. So maybe he will actually try. You know what I mean. Like, actually give it his level best and try to do a good job. And who knows? Maybe it won't be as bad as everybody thinks it is. Even if it is for all the wrong reasons. That's why I was trying to tell myself basically, like, I give him a chance, maybe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But literally, literally every move he's made has been so like comically on the nose awful to me like mm-hmm. meaning it sometimes some of the stuff he does i'm like he he it's like he's doing this just to piss me not me personally but us you know what i mean the people on 
our side or on the opposing side like he's doing it just to piss us off or something because it's so ridiculous like for example the department of energy right while i worked there uh for my day job the secretary of energy was initially stephen chu a nobel prize winner and uh the head of physics at Stanford mm-hmm. with a Ph.D. in physics and two bachelors in, like, math and whatever from um, Harvard or whatever it was, somewhere like that. And then after that, it was Ernest Moniz, who was the head of physics and energy at MIT. Mm-hmm. Now it's Dancing with the Stars. And it's Rick Perry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he, yeah, he picked the guy who one of his biggest, high, most high-profile moments was forgetting the name of the agency in a that's true. In a spiel he was giving about wanting to abolish it. There's so much irony in that and the White House correspondence I, jokes, and, I'm, and uh, I'm, I think about that all the time. I'm saying, and it it doesn't seem real sometimes. Mm-hmm. It it's so ironic or just whatever that it almost seems like it would have to be on purpose. I don't genuinely think it is, but I'm saying that's how bad it is from my perspective. So I don't feel good about it at all. I've met two two Trump supporters in L.A. recently, two women, Whoa. Uh, one from South America um, and the other one who grew up in L.A. And you could just – they both said the same thing, and it was different circumstances. But they said uh, – I could just see it in their eyes when we were talking about Trump. And so I was talking about it, and they overheard. One was an Uber driver. One was at the checkout line at Gelson's. And they said the exact same thing. They said, well, that is a good businessman. Yeah. Good businessman. Well, even that is debatable, isn't it? Yeah. You know that what I image mean? is right. very attractive for people. Yeah, it is. That's Some true. people. I mean, it's, like, let's try. He's, right. he's had tremendous success. I, it has blown my mind some of the – so when he first started – campaigning and gaining steam and stuff i was still at the doe and like i said a large amount of very smart people work in that area for that agency and i knew multiple people that i mean were just immediately impressively intelligent right when you talk to them about either uh you know nuclear engineering or whatever their environmental stuff whatever they did who were who liked trump and a lot of them would say either that or that and some version of, well, you know, he, he's going to shake things up. And that's what we need is we need something. We need a shake up in this country because what we got now just ain't working or whatever. And, it, or, and yeah, I don't know. It just it blows my mind. But because your content as a comedian is so politically charged, mm-hmm. were you ever positioned to be – you know, we want you over here at, at the MSNBC, or we want you on CNN. We want you to do talk about news all the time instead of doing what you're doing, which is you know creating a sitcom. Honestly, no, not really. Well, uh, we for a while there, we sort of dabbled in trying to do with like I don't know, like a Southern Daily Show type thing with me. You know what I mean? Um, but that didn't really. That'd be interesting with you on the Daily Show. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'd love to do that, but it just what you know how it is, man. All these different things at different times. But other than that, and that was you know, like I said, never really got off the ground. I mean, not really. None of like those the established ones like came calling like, hey, be a political talking head or whatever. And I think a lot of that probably is because I'm I'm so uh, blue, you know, like I'm not clean. I, I can be. I have the ability to be. Mm-hmm. But in all the videos and stuff, what I'm known for, I'm just, you know, do you want to do that? left and right. Does uh, you really well, have to want to do no. that, to be able to talk about it? It's no. hard not to spew into bullshit no, at man. some point. Honestly, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, um, like, 
That's a lot the of thing, meat. That's a lot is, of meter to feed. I never even yeah. I never even really considered myself a political comedian. The type of stand up comedian I wanted to be was more like you know, like social issues and stuff. Like I always talked about things like that, you know, about racism or homophobia mm-hmm. in the South or religion or whatever, that kind of stuff. But not like super topical, overtly political subjects or whatever in my stand up. I like having the videos as kind of like my outlet for that, but because those are the things that like put me on the map. Yeah, now I'm a political comedian, mm-hmm. and that you know that's fine, whatever. But I never put you even, in a corner. Yeah, kind of. I never even you know identified as that before all this, though. You know what I mean? I wanted to be like Chris Rock. You know what I'm saying? Not yeah. uh, Mort Saul, uh, yeah, Bill right, Maher. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yes, right, right. Yeah. Do you can you do an impression of uh, of a highfalutin? Elite liberal. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, impre- I don't I know mean, how much it, I can pull he, it the off. People Here's who talk they, to you, yeah, yeah. So uh, this one, this one lady in San Francisco said to us, she was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I I I, I lived in the South for a few. I mean, I'm from here, born and raised here. Okay, San Franciscan, whatever. I don't remember that word. That <laughs> what the the correct term is. She was like, but I lived in North Carolina for a few years, and I tell you." The whole time, I just wanted to kill myself. You know what I mean? And she said with this huge smile on her face or whatever, and like it's something that's going to endear her to me or whatever. But I'm sitting there, it's like, that's not a, you know, why would you tell me that? You know what I mean? Like, that's where I'm from. You know, like that's, you don't realize that's at least mildly insulting. What's up, y'all? Trey Crowder. People come up to us at shows and say things like, oh, you're from the South. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. How did you... How did you resist the Southerners' natural urge to cornhole your relatives? Have you ever stopped a lynching in progress? So when you do your show in the South, do your fellow Southerners throw biscuits at you or perhaps use a potato gun? Let me explain something. Being prejudiced against poor white people with a twang still counts as prejudice. For people who ostensibly so abhor xenophobia, you sure have written off an entire region of this country pretty resolutely. This election day, 40-some-odd percent of the people in Mississippi will vote for Hillary Clinton, and 40-some-odd percent of the people in California will vote for Donald Trump. So please stop acting like we're in a North-South Korea situation. Although, to be fair, if the South did have its own president, he probably would be a big, fat, dumb fool. But, still... The South cooks better chicken, plays better football, and sings sweeter songs than any other region in this country. So to act like we bring nothing to the table culturally is some fake liberal hypocritical bullshit. You know what I'm saying? That's the, and that's the kind of – and I don't I also don't want to come across as like that's everybody I run into in California because right, right. it's not at all. Yeah. Or not just California, but you know wherever, Pacific Northwest, Northeast, anywhere – it, the vast majority of people that I meet at shows are awesome and are don't do any of that. But at the same time, when you've talked to as many people as I have over that amount of time, there have been plenty of instances of that kind of thing where it's like they talk to me and to uh, the other two guys sometimes like we're like North Korean defectors or something. You know what I mean? Who somehow right. escaped our uh, dystopian wasteland home and made it to you know the their their paradise where everybody's thin and correct all the time or whatever and and uh you know and they're fascinated by it and it's yeah i mean it could be a little condescending sometimes for sure but at, that's also not anything that i'm not used to you know what i mean i've been getting that kind of thing my whole life i mean even in my hometown growing up because i told you there was an awesome lake there mm-hmm. 
and pretty much nothing else. So we would get tourists from up north, but like the Midwest, like Ohio or Michigan right. or whatever, would come to my hometown in the Go summer. Water skiing. Yeah, that fishing, water skiing, rent a houseboat, whatever, because it is genuinely a great lake. But so in the summer, our town would be flooded with all these tourists from up north. And so, like, I've grown up with that kind of thing. You know, like people, like, talking slowly to me because I think I won't understand them or whatever. Just clearly thinking that I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I kind of grew up with a chip on my shoulder about it, honestly, which is also, I think, informed a lot of how I turned out. Can so you go to back to the set of circumstances that, uh, uh, you know, which you grew up in? And uh, at which point you sort of moved away from those that set of circumstances? What were the circumstances where you grew up? So, uh, yeah, we I grew up very poor. It wasn't that bad at first because, and I'll have to watch it or I'll get back into Trump stuff here, but for years and years in my hometown, the center of the town's economy was this big uh, clothing factory. Oshkosh Bagosh, it's called. Of course. It, yeah, and... Uh, that would that was find my childhood yeah that was wardrobe the, it was the lifeblood of uh of our hometown and in the 90s after nafta it moved to mexico or whatever and everything like my whole family was like small business owners my dad had a video store if you remember what those are <laughs> those relics of a bygone era but my dad had a video store my grandpa had a car lot my grandmother had a like a cafe like a diner or whatever and before that it was everybody was doing good you know after that and it was kind of gradual but it just slowly just went off a cliff man and then within a span of years it was really really bad there like for everybody like 15 percent or more unemployment or whatever which if you know much about economics is devastating and it was that solid for 20 years or whatever at this point you know what i mean so and that happened that happened the factory left when i was like eight or nine probably right so from that point on we just didn't have much at all and then separately from that my mom was uh my mom abused uh opiates prescription narcotics hillbilly heroin they call it um and and but also sold them sold them on the side or whatever and she got you know she ended up getting busted for it and went to jail a couple times and uh but even when she wasn't in jail, she wasn't around a whole lot because of that kind of thing. Uh, she's re- in recovery now. Like, she's been clean now for a few years. And, you know, we talk and all that stuff. But so so she wasn't really around much. Her and my dad split up when I was seven. My dad pretty much raised me, but we didn't have much of anything. And um, but, but him and his dad, my paternal grandfather, um, both of whom have since passed away, they – the whole – my whole life, they were like – I'm I'm going to college. You know what I mean? They're right. like, you're going to college. You're going to be the first one to go to college. And there was never – because I always made A's, and so they always pushed me real hard in that direction. It was never a question that I would. But I would have these conversations with, like, grandparents or great aunts and uncles or, like, school teachers or guidance counselors about that. And they'd be like, Trey, you're, you're smart. You can, go, you can go anywhere. You can go to med school. You can go to law school or whatever. And I would, you know, and I'd be like, well, I think I want to be a comedian. And they would just be horrified. Yeah, right. Like, what? No. You, no, you can't. Don't do that. Please don't waste Please your potential. Please Department of Energy. Right. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I get their perspective on it when you look around at how most of the rest of the people where I'm from, you know, do. Uh, but the only person who didn't, who was never really like that, was my dad, though. My dad was always like, yeah, yeah, it'd be awesome, whatever. But... I, but I still went to college because 
I mean, I wanted to. And I had Where'd a, you go to school? Tennessee Tech University. Yeah. And uh, I don't regret it at all. Some of the best years of my life, and I had a lot of fun there. But I – but even when I was in college, the degree, I got I ended up getting an MBA, and people are like, "Well, that's that's really neither liberal nor redneck," you know what I mean? But it was practical, is what it right. was, because right. even when I was there, I was like, "I want to get a degree that's super versatile that will allow me to get a job where I can actually pay the bills while I'm trying to become a comedian, so I don't have to wait tables or whatever." Because I've had enough of being broke as hell, you know what I mean? I've been broke my whole life. I don't want to be a starving artist. I'd rather have a nine to five type thing and have benefits and you know health insurance or whatever, kids. and not have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah, well, they they weren't around at the time; they right. weren't in the picture. But but still, that was my mentality. Yeah, and so everything was kind of informed. Even that, which is totally unrelated to comedy, it was still kind of shaped by me wanting to do this. So then, when I finally graduated, and I find the the DOE job was just the job that I found. You know, I applied for plenty of jobs out here and stuff too, by the way, like even back then. And I, but that was 2009, the height of the recession, and it took me 6 months to find anything, and the, the the job with the DOE is just the one that I just got. And so I moved up there to Knoxville and start that's when I started doing comedy finally. I was like, you know, it's time to actually jump in. And uh yeah, I just did it and I started like being a house MC at the local club there and stuff and I'd meet all these guys coming through pro comics or whatever and ninety percent of them would tell me they were like, Don't leave, don't don't go to New York or LA until you're you know, get good here. Like because if you go before you're ready, it'll destroy you, you know, is what they yeah. would say. They were like, So just practice get better here down here around the, you know at the clubs down here and whatever and when you are gen- genuinely ready to do it then go so i was never in a real big hurry to get out here but i still wanted to and i'd only really started looking at that in earnest in the past couple of years right. and then then last year that all that stuff happened and then now here i am well finally now i mean now that the deadline.com stuff is coming out and the narrative pov interviews are all rolling out what is the response like from people who knew you growing up? Um, well, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people in Salina praying for me right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Think that I've lost my way or yeah. I've sold out or whatever. You're getting a lot of Facebook messages. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Coming to L.A. Do you know what Topics is? Topics.com. You ever heard of that? Topics with an X. It's been around forever. And it's funny. Everybody I know that grew up in a small town knows about it. It, like, somehow became the de facto small town, like, gossip forum website. So it's like every small town you can imagine has a topics page. So there's, like, a Salina topics page. And people just go over there and just talk trash about each other all day long. That's that's all they do. And so my sister will get on topics and see what people are saying about me sometimes or whatever. uh, What has the temperature? I, well, on there, pretty bad. You know what I mean. And then, what, what do they say? Hey, screw this guy. It could have been anybody. What, what is the what is the no, position? No, it's mostly like like I said that I'm you know that I had such potential or I was such. A, <laughs> I know, you right? Your I, potential. Yeah. Well, because really, they, well, they. I'm you know they're super religious and super conservative. So to them, I'm like an outright traitor. But the right. thing is, most of these people I know they can't know me well. Because I've always been this guy. You know what I mean? Always. He could have been somebody. And most, he could have been a pastor. He could have been I a know. medical. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, that kind of. And, but most of my good, the people who do know me well, again, because I have always been this guy, even the ones that are like Trump supporters or whatever, even those guys, usually they are like, well, I don't agree with nothing that you say, but I'm proud of you, man. You know what I mean? 
good for you. You're doing a damn good job, and I know this is what you always want to do, and I'm happy for you. Uh, and those are the people. And that's you. fine. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's all, right. That's all I really care about. I uh, We don't usually do these interviews face-to-face, so it's yeah. been fun staring at you right. and doing it here. It feels, uh, it feels good. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I hope like, you had fun. I like, yeah, I did, and I, and I prefer that, too, by yeah. the way, uh, to the phone. The phone, the phone can be weird sometimes because you don't get a good sense of – when to shut up or when the other person's about to shut up or you know what I mean yeah. like it's hard in person is a lot better so yeah I'm glad I came down here Thanks I'm gonna for come see me. you at Largo awesome I'm gonna come see you wherever else you go um, do you ever play the hot tub uh, show in Silver Lake at the Virgil no you no. should you would be great there okay there's also the book that you did right yeah what is the book it's the liberal redneck manifesto dragon dixie out of the dark a little wordy but hey what are you gonna do but it's uh but it's me and Corey and drew the other two guys are on tour with me other you know liberal redneck comics and that was one of the earliest things that came about funnily enough and like almost everything else it started with a and uh, you know a tweet or whatever that led to a series of emails that ultimately led to the a, presidency. A, a no, sorry, your book, yeah, <laughs> a book deal. But it's basically, it's basically a like roadmap to what the South actually is. Like we try to explain the reality of the South, like including all the bad stuff, but also like all the good parts about it that other people might not know about. And then we also try to include our opinion on how we think the South can move forward and continue to do better or whatever. And also, it is about the South. We're all from the South, but I think it's probably rings pretty true for a lot, almost any red state in this country, I would think. But yeah, you can get it on our website, wellreadcomedy.com or Amazon or wherever, most booksellers and stuff. But it's gotten a good you know response, like all the reviews and everything and the response from people we've met has been good. And we're all, we, the three of us are very proud of it. So yeah, I'd, I'd, you want to check it out. That'd well, be you great. You get the book. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcast1.com. Hello there, you. It's me, Jay Moore. You know me from the More Stories podcast. I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and I talk to people that fascinate me, like Brandon Boyd from Incubus, super funny Jim Jeffries, Jay Leno, Charlie Sheen, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, and a whole lot more. Download a few episodes of More Stories now. More Stories podcast every Monday. Podcast One app, iTunes, podcastone.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. 
We have the photograph. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.